LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. All right, everybody, it is Steve, the Rogue Scholar, and it has been a week. Folks, I have been so unbelievably ill this past week. Amazing what steroids and antibiotics can do to a guy to bring him back out of death's door. My God, I mean, it was horrible. Bronchitis, you name it, just, ugh. Anyway, I still have a bit of a frog in my throat, so bear with me. Um, this, we're going to talk about something really, um, something that has been vexing to me personally. A um, lot of, I don't want to call it fighting, but there's a esoteric kind of uh, pedantic uh, debate about whether or not capitalism exists and what capitalism even is. And, you know, not going to lie, I have almost no tolerance uh, for people that throw words like it's the system or capitalism or whatever. I, I, I don't have a lot of uh, tolerance for that because it, it, it's, it, the subjects are usually way deeper than these like hand wavy things, right? I'm a systems guy to begin with. I'm a process engineer. I, I think about things with inputs and outputs and the extraneous dependencies that, that go into it. I don't ever think of things in isolation. I rarely do. Let me say that. I rarely do. But this concept of capitalism is, is a, a very important thing because it's talked about frequently. It's, it's, it's the thing, right? Everywhere. End capitalism, stop capitalism, crush capitalism, kill capitalism. Capitalism's the problem. I agree on so many levels, right? It's like this concept of capital and the concept of the elite owning the means of production, owning our lives, being able to make our lives difficult, stripping away the value of our lives and making us work for things that don't really have anything to do with who we are. We just sort of show up to work because we've got to have a job because we don't have a job. Who are we? We're worthless, right? We're no good. We're, we're, we're malcontents. We're loafers. We're leeches. We're whatever. And so the idea of understanding what capitalism even is and why it in and of itself is poorly defined is a real challenge. Many in the MMT community will tell you there is no such real thing as just capitalism and there's no such real thing as just socialism. It's like these are utopian ideas, either direction. And the idea of laissez-faire capitalism kind of denotes that there is no state, that it's kind of like anarcho-capitalism. It's like there is no, uh, the, the government is feckless and incapable of making changes to the capital order. It is impossible because capital works outside because after all, money is not a creature of the state in many of these left-wing circles. Money is commodity and money comes from banks and doesn't come from the state. They don't recognize state theory of money. And so because they don't understand the origins of the law, because money is a creature of law, they don't associate it with the government. They associate it with capital. They associate it with banks. So what ends up happening is that we have this thing where corporation and state kind of become one. And by any other definition, we would call that fascism, okay? Uh, there are other fascist things that go into that, like the strong man and uh, extreme um, scapegoating of immigrants and stuff like that. And there's a whole bunch of other authoritarian uh, violent elements to fascism um, that are part and parcel with its ability to push a a form of capital order, which is what Clara Matei, who I spoke to this uh, on Macro and Cheese this Saturday, talks to. So when I sit there and we talk about capitalism, the issue becomes one of how do you stop this, right? Where Where is the levers of power? 
And what's happened is, is that because we don't recognize that the state, your government, your currency-issuing government, creates all the laws that create markets. The government spends that money into existence where it's intending to create a market. It spends it into the military-industrial complex. It spends it into other aspects like fracking and, and other things, right? So it does all these things that, that we don't really recognize. We don't see them working hand in glove. And it took a lot for me to kind of, like, I go by the name Austerity is Murder because I believe austerity is murder. I didn't have a full picture of what austerity was even. I mean, I did in myopic, like, like spot ways. I didn't, I didn't pull them all together, okay? But Clara Mattei does do that in her book, The Capital Order. She shows that austerity is made up of a trinity. It's made up of monetary austerity, meaning interest rates. We're watching the federal government give way to the Federal Reserve, which it controls. By the way, the government is in control of the motherfucking Federal Reserve, not the other way around. Not the other way around. The Congress owns the Federal Reserve. Congress alone is the creator and the one that can regulate the Federal Reserve, can do everything with the Federal Reserve. It alone can do that, period, because the Federal Reserve is created by Congress and therefore can be unmade by Congress. It can be changed, and its charter has been changed a thousand times thousand times they've given it more independence they've taken away some of that independence they've added more independence they've changed the rules they've changed all sorts of stuff over the time from 1913 to present the law that made the federal reserve and the charter that goes with it are almost unrecognizable they don't match up at all because they've changed it whenever they've needed to but because really really confused people think that the federal reserve is just this private thing they give it a pass. They pretend like this is just what it is because banks rule the world. And while banks optically rule the world, they don't rule the world because that's just a given. They rule the world because government allows them to because the very idea of institutionalizing austerity, of institutionalizing this capital order, takes it out of the political realm and makes it so that it's just a thing. It just is. We have inflation. That means we have to do these things automatically. We have to do it. We have to raise interest rates. We must reduce federal spending because after all, federal spending creates inflation. And then we must lay off and millions of people to ensure that we take away inflationary pressures. So this is the, the golden rule, the golden book, if you will, of institutionalized knowledge. It's fake knowledge. It's fraudulent. Because it's not there to kill inflation. Because what they don't talk about is how does inflation happen? Let's think about this for a minute. Let's say this is my calculator, my trusty calculator, and I'm a business leader. And I decide, hey, we want to make sure that people can't just resign, can't just walk out, can't just live their lives. We want to make sure that the pain and suffering necessary to keep them controllable is high enough that the world is precarious enough that they will take whatever we give them. And so every time something like this happens, it's what happened when the housing crisis happened. You have people driving five and six hours away for a third shift at Walmart. Who the fuck does that, right? Well, you do that when that's all that's there. But we know that it didn't have to be that way. Obama purposely did not spend, did not push for more than like 900 billion for the great financial crisis. This is what the sack of shit did. Your hero, Obama, did that, okay? So why would he do that? Why would he only put up one, you know, $900 billion otherwise? Why would he take the, um, the public option off the table with the ACA before they had even begun negotiating? Why would he do any of that stuff? And you begin to realize that corporation and state, the capital order, is in control. This is why when they say there aren't left and right, there's just two capitalist parties, that there's truth in that. That is on the economic front. However, the means by which they control people 
are different. Republicans use uteruses. They use forced births. They use extraordinary debt. The Democrats, on the other hand, use austerity politics with we must pay down the debt. We must reduce the deficit. Okay. These are fiscal components to the triune austerity model. We have monetary, which I said, which is the interest rates. And then we have federal, or excuse me, fiscal, which is where we say, oh, we don't have enough money. We have debt ceilings. We have all these things. So this is the fiscal austerity. And the last one, again, is industrial austerity, where they maintain the right and the ability to sack you, to fire you, to terminate your employment. So the three of those things work together to maintain this capital order, okay? Problem is that capitalism on its own represents this thing where capital is in control, but it's not. It's the illusion that capital's in control. The problem is, is that we keep trying to say, well, it's all hopeless because the federal government and the government and all is a creature of capital. The reality is that the minute we give that up, the minute we pretend that that's got to be the way it is, is the minute we lose our anchor to fighting back. Because we're left with two thoughts. We're left with violent revolution or we're left with an intellectual political revolution. But we're not left with a position where we can vote our way out of the trinity of austerity. None of them are doing, all of them are in on it. Literally, this is not a conspiracy. This is literally how it is. And what Clara Mattei does is she goes back to World War I. World War I, she takes the position of the UK, which is a parliamentary government, and she takes the Italians, who were a fascist government led by Benito Mussolini. Okay. Mussolini used his black shirt and literally chased these people around, literally broke arms if they dared criticize anything. So you were literally left to suck it up, to consume less and produce more. So two countries, totally different in nature, a, a fascist country and a parliamentary country, both embracing austerity, both embracing austerity. How does that happen? How does austerity become the way of the land? Because it is about capitalism, okay? Capitalism is an ideological framework. It's not just the practice of capital and labor and stuff like that. It is an ideological framework. And what they've tried to do is they've tried to take away the ideological part of this and pretend that it is just the way it is. There is no alternative. But as we know, capitalism as a construct has only been around for 300 years, maybe. Maybe 300 years. And so within that space, we know that over the course of time that there were other alternatives. In fact, when they saw the power of all the governments doing a centrally planned command and control economy where they literally put the means of production into the state's hands, into the public hands to fight the war. And they were able to spend, spend, spend to ensure that everybody had food, everybody had housing, everybody was employed, you name it. They realized that they had uncracked the seal of the, the, the blinders of what capital and industrial power could be. They showed that the state was superior at all times. And once they knew that, people started thinking, maybe there's another alternative. And right at that time, there was a crisis of capital. The Bolsheviks had revolted. The Bolsheviks had taken over the Russian Empire. The greatest thing that ever rocked the world, the working class rose up and said, fuck you. And there wasn't a bloody revolution. Because the warriors were out there fighting World War I, horrible conditions, beaten down, destroyed, and they came home. And there was a detente. They were like, we're not going to kill our fellow countrymen and women. And so the Bolshevik Revolution can be, obviously, you have a bunch of counter-revolutionary forces that have just continued to attack, but it shook the world. John Reed, 10 days it shook the world, Reds. Fact of the matter is, is that this was the thing, the great overreaction to the Russian Revolution. And the Russian Revolution was so different than anything else. Russia was an agrarian society led by czars, King Nicholas, Tsar Nicholas, whatever, and his family. I mean, it's kind of like comedian shit going on there, right? And you think about 
that whole uh, you know period of time there was a lot of humor you could find in the bumbling around because it wasn't intended to be a violent revolution i don't think people even thought of it that way okay i think people were just looking to take over the working power of the country and and they did okay and so capital then in world war 1 decided we can't have this and economists created the austerity narrative by creating the austerity narrative they gave every tool that they needed they gave every tool that they needed to keep the people docile in control locked down feeling like they were doing it for the country we got to eat less we got to eat our peas we got to cinch up our belts we got to work harder we got to work longer they believed it. it was like part of being a good citizen right and so they crafted this very, very stealth view of what it meant to be a good citizen. And the good citizen was the one that didn't complain about austerity, but accepted it as a necessary evil for the country to survive, to do it for the fatherland, to do it for the motherland, okay? Well, in the end, in the end, capitalism decided it was going to attack. And so this is what bred the whole capital order in terms of what we know today. One of the things that I think is really challenging is folks like Winston Churchill actually salivated over Benito Mussolini. Even Keynes himself was a austerian. He bought into the austerity model because they wanted to protect the capital order. They felt like capitalism needed to be protected and survive, and this was how they did it, okay? So with all that in mind, with understanding that this is the dynamic, we can see if you have eyes to see, if you choose to open your mind, you can choose to see why they want you to be in student debt. It's not about the money. This is not about a greed thing. Let's be clear. It's not about greed. It's 100% about maintaining a chattelless slavery, an open air type prison where we accept wage labor. We accept conditions that are beyond our desires. And by allowing this trinity of austerity to go unchecked, what they do is they take away the ability to strike. They make striking illegal. They make labor the bad guy. They sit there and reduce spending so you'll take whatever job they give you. And then they raise interest rates to ensure mass layoffs. This three, these three key components are why you'll not see student debt removed. They're why you're going to see interest rates hike. It's why you're going to see them continue to make laws that make bankruptcy more impossible, like student debt bankruptcy, like the way they've refined the bankruptcy laws. All of these things are to protect the capital order. It is a means of control. But in terms of capitalism, it's not just capitalism. It's fascism. It's fascism got to normalize that. You've got to normalize that what we're experiencing is the conflation of state and corporate interests. And we are an afterthought. We are there to simply be the waiters and waitresses to clean the baby's diapers, to do whatever it takes to keep the capital order happy. It's not up to you to like what I'm saying. It's not even really up to you to debate this. You can read it. I mean, I've done factual research so much so that my brain's exploding, okay? So what I want you to understand is that while capitalism in and of itself, laissez-faire capitalism is a lie. Think about this. Laissez-faire capitalism means hands off, there's nothing but that fundamentally denies the role of the state in creating markets because the way money gets into the economy is, and I showed you guys this in spades when I talked about the state-by-state -state approach with the military-industrial complex. The state-by-state -state approach with the military-industrial complex was a coup d'etat of a great, great, I mean, they just blew us away without even knowing it. They made it so that the military-industrial complex in each state was so intrinsic to the flows of income into the state coffers, that the states themselves would be suicidal to fight back against the military industrial complex because they will go belly up. Because remember, currency issuers, the federal government, currency users, the states. This is why so many chuckleheads that are talking about state-based solutions are just completely 
un- incredible. There's, there's no credibility to them because of this fact alone. This fact alone is so empirical. So, uh, so right there in your face that if you don't pay attention to it, you're liable to miss the entire story. You'll slip the plot. It's gone. It's vapor. You didn't see it. So capitalism in its true laissez-faire form means that it just does whatever it wants and government's powerless. But when government is is itself the creator of markets, when government itself is the creator of the dollar, when government itself spends that first dollar into existence to the market that it wants to create, once you recognize that, you have to understand all the factors it takes to maintain that capital order. And if you just go, vote for Summer, vote for Pedro, if that's your fucking analysis, You fail. You fail us all. And I'm here to help you not fail us all anymore. Okay? Because you had a midterm election the other day. That election, whether you feel it was important or not, it's done. If you believe in electoral politics, you had an election. Now it's time to be talking about the things I'm talking about every single fucking day of the week. I don't want to hear nothing about... Shut up. Got to teach them. You've got to teach, not them, each other. Because otherwise, the capital order that is oppressing and crushing us is purposely making life hell, purposely creating conditions for suicide because austerity is murder. There's literal scientific evidence that shows that in the UK, they proved, proved, that austerity is social murder. It literally kills people through denial of services, through making life unbearable. We've already seen in spades that neoliberalism, which is a construct from the 60s when labor gave up its right to exist, basically, and started trading with guys like Milton Friedman in the Chicago school. It started in the 60s, went into the 70s. Jimmy Carter was the first neoliberal president. And then... Ronald Reagan said, hold my beer, okay? But Jimmy Carter started this shit, okay? And when you understand neoliberalism and how they've done everything they can to privatize, to get rid of the public space, to literally eliminate the commons in the quest for this mass privatization, this is why the parasites that want to privatize Medicare for all, privatize social security, privatize these things. They are the enemy. They are fucking devil. Okay. They're evil. They're evil. Okay. And so if it's a Democrat that says they want to privatize Medicare and you support them, if I just said they're evil and you support them, what do you think I think of you? Just think about it for a minute. Think I think of you. If you know that they're doing evil and you still support that, what do you think I think of you? I'm here to change that dynamic because in order for us to do better in between elections, you can't check out, go to brunch, go hang out with your homies, binge watch a bunch of bullshit sci-fi crap. It's time for you to fucking stay on point in between election cycles so that we can prove once and for all that either electoral politics is bullshit, it's fake, it's there to protect and provide a veneer for the capital order, or you have a real meaningful way of making change. You have to prove that, and you prove that by changing between election cycles, by teaching people every fucking day of your life, never taking a day off, never saying, I'm going to go party and hang, I'm going to do stupid shit, and fucking quit supporting organizations that live this shit, eat it daily while you go fuck off, okay? This is the day-to-day stuff. Otherwise, I don't want to hear you complain. The capital order is large and in charge. And it requires a committed people to fight back. And by fight back, I'm talking about with your mouth, with your typing, with your interest, with your efforts. Because otherwise, people are just going to go on like lemmings, bumping into walls, wondering why it's all happening, why life is so hard. Why is there inflation? Oh, it's Biden's inflation. (laughs) Biden's part of the capital order, folks. Biden is part of the capital order. He is absolutely part of the capital order. 
And quite frankly, so is Congress, so is the Supreme Court, so are all those folks. So the issue comes down to each one teach one, okay? Each one teach one. You need to involve yourself in reading and learning. You must grow beyond a childlike vote and have an analysis, a real meaningful political analysis of understanding what's at play. I'm going to take you out to Ukraine for a minute. It's pathetic. Let me just be frank. It's worthless. When I see all these people with the Ukraine flag on their profiles and the Russian flag and, oh, I'm this and, oh, I'm that. The fact of the matter is that what you see right here with this Ukraine stuff is the capital order retrenching itself. What happened? The United States allowed its infrastructure to dilapidate. It stopped spending on the people. It gave up its industrial base. During the pandemic, we saw in spades that we don't have the capability of maintaining a supply chain without imports. We became a net importing nation, which for purely accounting reasons is great because imports are a benefit, exports are a cost, right? Until you understand the capital order. And once you understand the capital order, you begin to realize that ultimately, because we allowed ourselves to fall apart, what are we doing? Joe Biden has made it his mission to make China the bad guy. China doesn't give a shit about us. Man, they, they do business. They're out there making friends. They're building silk roads. They're building ports. They're freaking engaging, engaging in real, honest-to-God, collaborative, uh, cooperative things with other nations. Nations are lining up begging to be a part of what they're doing. Whereas in the United States, we have used our power of the SWIFT system and the dollar to be punishing, to be sanctioning, to, to literally starve people and to, to control another form of control using the IMF, International Monetary Fund, debt peonage to create colonized nations, virtual neo-colonial societies. So as a part of this capital order, it requires cheap imports. It requires cheap labor. It requires these things to maintain itself. It's not about the money. Folks, these folks don't need the money. It's not about the money. Got to get that money thing out of your head. It's about the real resources, about power. It's about the power dynamics, right? It's about the power dynamics. And when you understand the power dynamics, you can start assessing and really understanding what's at play. And because the United States let itself go, thinking it could live off of the work around the world, the global South expropriated, expropriated, whatever the fuck, appropriating all the goods and services and labor and the real riches of the global South for its own. Those days are over and they're never coming back. And so Biden started creating an enemy out of the Chinese people during his first State of the Union address. You already know the Democrats have been busy demonizing Russia. Going back to Maidan in 2014, they've been literally on the Russia tip, especially once Hillary Clinton didn't beat Donald Trump. Okay, they just thought that was a shoe in It wasn't, obviously. So Russia has become the bad guy too. So what they've done, because of not spending on the people, because disgraceful people supported reducing the deficit, the Democrats have, by extension, hand in hand with the Republicans, created the conditions that allowed the United States to fall apart. And so now we have to have a cold war. We have to block them from being a part of our world, because if not, they'll eat our lunch, because they didn't stop spending on their economy. They didn't stop spending on building their infrastructure. They didn't stop doing the things that were going to make them robust and resilient. They don't need us in that way, okay? They don't want us as their enemy because they do have a lot of business that's done here and their reserve holdings in U.S. dollars matter to them. They want to be a partner with us, but we let the ball drop and terrible people celebrated deficit reduction. Disgraceful people celebrated deficit reduction. And as a result of that, now we're going to have to go into Cold War 2.0. This time it's different because we have separated the world. We have Russia, China, the global South, all lining up against 
the United States. Well, the United States is busy pimping out the Europe, okay? And on top of all that, if that's not bad enough, they are literally creating a uni, I mean, a, a multipolar world, which is fine. We probably need that. But they're doing it in a way that's like literally cutting it off. And because people are just so fucking shallow, throw my yellow and blue flag on my profile and call it a day, right? Because they do that shit, they're not thinking about the real analysis here and what's at play. So they're not even fighting the right demons. They're not even fighting the right problems. So the question back to capitalism and what is capitalism? Capitalism is about who gets to control your life, who gets to control whether you get to eat, who gets to control how you live your life, whether or not you can have a home, whether you can go to school, whether you can do these things. Capitalism is about a means of control. It's about a means of power. It's not just buying and selling goods, private property versus public property. It's so much more than that. It's an entire ideological framework, okay? Does capitalism live in perfect laissez-faire oh, like ivory tower? No, there is no such thing as unfettered, un, you know, laissez-faire capitalism. It simply doesn't exist. That's true. Because without the government there to create winners and losers, to protect failing companies, because you remember, Part of capitalism is creative destruction. These things fall apart. New ones come up, right? Competition, all these things that they try to claim. But the fact is, is that that's not how it works. They prop these too big to fail companies up and they become de facto non-elected leaders of our world. Think about what's happening with Elon Musk and Twitter right now. Elon Musk doesn't need to exist like this, but the United States government gave him billions of dollars to create his space fantasies. It subsidized billions of dollars for his Tesla vehicles. The United States government created the internet through DARPAnet and ARPANET, but then in turn handed it over to the private sector to be capitalized, to be capitalized, okay? Not for a public works, to be capitalized. That is the, that is the very definition, the very definition of fascism. Fascism. We say we're anti-fascist. Fascism. Anti-fascism. Prove it. Show me you're anti-fascist by standing against fascism, by standing against the, the, the conjoining of corporation and state. Show me that when you see a politician that you think you support, but they support this combination of corporation and state. Show me that you have the courage, the stat, the fucking spine to stand against that and say, hey, that's fascism. Don't sit there and say, what other choice do we have? Okay? You may vote. Voting is a strategic, tactical thing. You just, yeah, fuck it. I don't know what's going to come from your vote. Vote your values. Vote your, voting is irrelevant almost at this point. Do it. Vote, please. I voted. I'm not saying don't, but I'm saying the real issue is you're going to keep getting this kind of fascist shit. You're going to keep getting fascism until you stand up against the, the conflation of state and corporation, until you finally push back on that and say, enough's enough. Until you stop saying, well, let me take a look at what lithium is trading at on the stock market. Let me see what the, you know, Tesla is going up in profit here. Maybe I should invest some bucks in Tesla until you stop behaving that way. I don't want to hear anything about fascism anymore. I don't want to hear anything more about fascism until you're ready to fight fascism. Don't tell me you're anti-fascist. Fascism is not just some bigot that doesn't like black people or gay people or trans people. That's the scapegoating that comes with fascism. It's a component of fascism. But fascism is the combined corporation and state. So I understand when people push back and tell me, Steve, there is no such thing as capitalism in the way that you're saying it because it's really the state creating the market, which creates the conditions, that creates the laws that allows these corporations to do it. This is why when Warren Mosler says, hey, Ilian Omar, stop complaining about the businesses doing this, that, and the other and taking all these profits. You're the one that's supposed to fucking regulate them. Do it. 
do your goddamn job. Do your motherfucking job. And anybody gives you a pass for not doing your job, it's part of the fascist network. You're part of the problem. You are the problem. You must fight fascism where it is. That's the problem. That's the problem, folks. You want an easier, softer way. You want to be able to vote blue and feel like you've done something noble. You get the vapors. You want to feel like you're doing something noble. And that's like that thimble deep nonsense that just gets you more fascism. This is not about, you know, how authoritarian it is or whatever. This is about understanding that this conflation of corporation and state, Citizens United as a whole, was the ultimate in fascism. It was the epitome of codifying fascism into law. It wasn't just, oh no, what do we do? It was literally, literally making fascism the law of the land. Think about that. Literally, Citizens United ruling made fascism the law of the land. That's some shit, isn't it? So, in the end, we have to recognize that this concept of ending capitalism, what people really mean when they say that is they want to put an end to private property and want to put an end to wage slavery. Whatever you want to call that, whether you call that state-sponsored fascism or whether you call that something else, you can call it capitalism because that's an easy word to say that people have already latched onto, even if they have an incorrect or maybe a slightly wrong perspective. It's a way of consolidating those thoughts. The problem is when you don't recognize the state as the monopoly currency issuer, when you think that it's banks creating these things as opposed to the state doing it, the IMF is an extension of United States imperial power. The World Bank is an extension of the United States imperial power, okay? The World Trade Organization is an extension of the United States imperial power, right? And when you understand that in order to get an IMF loan as a country, you have to take on austerity measures. You must get rid of your public space. You must make your country willing to take on whatever public interests private interests want. You've got to free up markets. You can't protect your own products. You've got to take any kind of protections off. And you've got to reduce public expenditures so that the private sector can come in and take it over. Think about what we've done with the UK. People think that the United States is not behind the UK's dissolution or pushing for privatization of the National Health Service. But the fact is the United States' number one export aside from war is privatization. It's opening up markets. And the reason why this is a big deal is because I talked to you already with Clara's stuff about World War I. Go to World War II. World War II, what do we do? We told everyone, hey, buy war bonds. You're going to be helping fund the war effort. Do it for the country. They took over every factory in America. They put all production toward the war machine. State took over. State showed, we can do it, right? Every state across the world did the same thing. Russia did it. Nazi Germany did it. The UK did it. Mussolini and the Italians did it. Japanese did it. Everyone did it. Everyone removed themselves from the austerity. And folks, the gold standard is austerity baked into the system, okay? So, but they removed that because they knew that they needed to create these things. So 
by taking you into thinking that you're doing it for the fatherland, the motherland, they created every industry to work towards that. That's not capitalism. That's not. That's not. And it shows what we could do. It shows we can move and marshal resources to make society great. And that's what they discovered in 1919. That's what they discovered in 1917. That's what they discovered back then. And then they rediscovered it in World War II. And this is why FDR's New Deal killed the hopes of socialism coming to the United States at that point. It was the great compromise. And while the New Deal is certainly the better deal, many people were left out of that. Why? Because the capital order was still large and in charge. It was about maintaining the capital order. It was about making sure we didn't go to communism. It was about making sure that we didn't do these things. And that's what the role of the IMF, World Bank, and World Trade Organization are. They were there as a bulwark, a, a, a blocker against states taking on the communist or socialist perspective. We wanted to beat Joseph Stalin from spreading it. We wanted to kill the Trotskyists. We wanted to eliminate the spread, the red spread, man. We didn't. Capital did. The capital order did not want to see that happen. And we've been so convinced that worker-owned is somehow or another evil, that it's against our best interest, that we need our Elon Musks. However could we survive without Jeff Bezos? And we've been convinced of this. Even if we aren't convinced of it, we accept it. We talk a lot about, oh, we got to tax the rich. We got to eat the rich. We got to, the rich don't care about the money. It's not the money that's the issue. It's the power. It's the control. Somebody talked to me about this yesterday. Alan Iverson, bankrupt, superstar, Hall of Fame basketball player still has the currency of his star power. Alan Iverson could do a road show and speak to people and would make millions. He could write a book, it'd make millions. He still has that power, okay? Still has that power. So when you think about what is power, what creates this dynamic, it's not greed for cash. These people have more money. We had Mark Cuban come on to talk to Pavlina Chernova a while back. Charles Hayden was talking. And Mark Cuban said point blank, I don't care if you raise my taxes or the economy goes down. I'm always going to win. I'm always going to make money. I'm always going to be okay. It blew me away. I was like, how is that possible? But it is. Because the capital order protects itself. The system is meant to protect and keep and maintain our class differences. And this is why when we attack each other, even the people that are dumb and stupid and redneck or, you know, fucking bigots and this, that, and the other, we're all warped and perverse in our own way from the capital order and from this neoliberal framework that we've been force-fed that alienates us from our true selves. And as a result of the contradictions that we see in both capitalism and supposed democracy, which we don't have, in order to get out of fascism, we have to be able to have a meaningful way of voting our way out of it. But you see, whenever you vote for it, you still get a Joe Biden who implements the austerity triangle. You still get a Jimmy Carter who institutes the austerity triangle. You get a Ronald Reagan who institutes the austerity triangle and you get a Bubba Clinton that institutes the austerity triangle. Each of these people institutes the austerity trinity. So the question becomes not whether or not capitalism really exists or not, because of course the concept exists. But the concept without recognizing state authority and state power fundamentally misses the point. If you want to get rid of corruption, you need your Congress to do it. But if Congress itself is captured 
and Congress itself is part of the capital order. And you have to acknowledge that voting out of this isn't the way we're going to get there. And I often talk about building parallel systems, parallel institutions. We need to create institutional knowledge and institutional power that allows us to collaborate, to think, to have ideas, to have scientific analysis of politics and of geopolitical struggle and of finance and economics. We need to have those things for ourselves. Otherwise, we rely on the very powers that are there with the propaganda to control us, to make us not see the world as it is. And so as far as this talk goes, it's taken a lot for me to pull all this together. I mean, obviously, I've read the Communist Manifesto. I've read everything by, you know, Vladimir Lenin. I've, I've read it all a couple times. And I've read more and new stuff. And I continue to learn because that's my goal. That's why I'm the rogue scholar. I don't just say, oh, well, they, well, my friends are Democrats. That must be the way it is. I don't do that. But I also don't just randomly bash them because the reality is I think they're puppets. I think they're puppets for the capital order. Okay? Something happened, fundamentally happened to AOC. One minute she's standing on Nancy Pelosi's desk with all these kids from the Sunrise Movement. The next minute she's bear calling Mama Bear and snuggling Joe Biden, just being real. One minute she's taking Jerome Powell to task, kicking his fucking ass, talking about the um, Nauru and the Phillips curve and saying how foolish it is and how much bullshit it is. We had no inflation at the time, and Powell was like, yeah, you're right. You wouldn't know that. Most people don't pay attention. Hell, Alan Greenspan even told us there's nothing preventing us from creating as many dollars as we want. The issue is, can we create an economy where the real goods and services are there for purchase? Well, you've heard it from Greenspan. You've heard it from Bernanke, who said we've got a printing press. Stupid, but whatever. And you've now heard it from Jerome Powell with AOC. And it doesn't stick with people. Why the fuck not? Why not? And I'll tell you why. Because the amount of scientific political analysis that we have is thimble deep. Vote blue. Vote for summer. Be worthless. See how worthless we can be. Let's have a race to the worthless bottom of how vote bluish we can be instead of talking about these things so we can change the narrative. I'm not telling you not to vote blue. I don't give a fuck who you vote for. I'm telling you that our problems are beyond the voting booth. And I'm telling you, if you're not educating people in between, we have no chance whatsoever. And if you keep running interference for public officials that aren't doing their jobs, you're part of the problem. I'm just letting you know. I see you. I see you. I know who you are. And I see you. I know what you did last summer. All that good shit. You keep making excuses for these people. You're killing my kid. I'm just telling you straight up. You hurt my kid? Well, what do you what, what would you do if somebody was hurting your kid? What would you do? How would you think of them? Would you think of them as good people? I don't. I think of anybody that harms my child as a motherfucker. Okay? And I imagine each of us have kids or loved ones. And when you think about people that ignore the stuff I'm talking about right here, and just vote blue. Vote for summer. Vote for Pedro. When you do that, you're killing people. Just telling you straight up. Straight up, there's no if, in and a button about it. Your job is between election cycles to change the narrative. And if they continue to push fascism, you must admit that they're fascists. You must say it, and you must not hide from it. And you must not cajole or cuddle them because you're defending fascism. And own it. You're a fascist. Get the proper salute, whatever that salute is, wear your armband proudly. You're a fascist. You're not an anti-fascist. You're a fascist. So in order to change this narrative, we've got to change the way we think and the way we process. We've got to change by expanding and telling people and explaining and reading and doing the tough stuff, divorcing ourselves from a loyalty to a party and begin to re-embrace the fact that we are truth seekers. We want the best for each other. 
And the best way to do that is to not be slaves to the capital order. Now, whatever you want to call that, you want to call that socialism? You want to call it communism? You want to call it some new thing that we come up with as a result of the material conditions of the day? I don't care. I'm not worried about the label. What I am worried about is that we acknowledge these things and that we make decisions about what we support and what we talk about and who we follow and so forth based on that. Because if we don't have the discipline, if we don't have the discipline to call out fascism, for real, like not hyperbolic, I'm, I'm trying to give you really honest to God, like textbook approaches to understanding these things. Get rid of some of the emotion, which I'm showing you, so you see that this is not just some sort of dry book, book read kind of stuff. This is real rubber meets the road stuff. But I want you to understand that if we don't change individually, change the lens by which we view things, understand the state creates currency. The state has the power to create markets and does. The state allows mass capital accumulation through speculative Wall Street investments and stock buybacks and all the other things they do. The state allows that in the name of some fake laissez-faire capitalism that is really, in fairness, fascism. That's the lesson of the day, friends. That's the lesson of the day. And if you think about what's going on in Russia right now and Ukraine, realize this is about the tearing of the world. This is about the United States once again trying to ensure it's got the real resources it needs in a post-unipolar world where they have split off. And if we can stop getting into team sports, rah, rah, shish, boom, bah, okay, and focus on these very important concepts and help others to learn them, we can make a difference. I don't know how that will look. You know, one of the hardest things for me to realize was that Vladimir Lenin didn't randomly push for revolution. The material conditions were there for revolution to occur. You can't force a revolution to happen. A revolution requires a bunch of things to converge together at once. It requires the people to be ready. It requires the material conditions for the surroundings to be ready, et cetera. So in the absence of any real meaningful revolutionary energy, save for a fringe group of people, quite frankly, even though I would consider myself sympathetic to that, it's not there. And Vladimir Lenin wouldn't have pushed for a revolution until the conditions were right. He wouldn't have. They would have needed to be correct. They would have needed to have been right. So the idea of revolution today is, I don't want to say it's silly. It's a very important thing. It may be the only way out. But the issue is, what does that look like? And what are the conditions it would take to get it there? Okay. And so knowing full well that we live in a duopoly, that duopoly's purpose is to protect the capital order. And I think that's what happened with AOC when she got up on Pelosi's desk and she tried to do this stuff as a regular person. And then all of a sudden, she realized that ain't your job, girlfriend. Your job is to be the credibility, like in the Matrix, you know, when the, the young little programmer guy said, hey, I created the girl in the red dress because everybody would reject the programming if there wasn't something a little off, right? If things were so perfect, it, it would be wrong. That's why when Cypher's eating the steak, he's like, I know it ain't real. Mm, but damn, it's good. Ignorance is bliss. Well, ignorance is bliss. And it's easy to fall back to sleep. And that's why I have sympathy for people that, think that they can vote their way out of this. It's not that I'm angry at them. It's that we're all trapped until they wake up. And the most natural thing in the world is like, if you got shot in the leg, your body would go into shock and you wouldn't feel the pain. It would like 
you'd wash over you with like endorphins and other things that your body creates to take the pain away. It will put you into a euphoric state so that you, you could survive it temporarily, right? We put these children's stories of electoral politics into our brain so that we can process the fact that we're really slaves to this capital order. Even the people two inches above the pig slop are two inches above the pig slop. They're not living la vida loco. They're not the enemy. They're just as confused as we are. But they run that blocker because they're afraid to lose something. And because they're afraid to lose something because they're selfish like that, they're not going to support the people below them because they see that as lower, middle, and upper class. They don't see it as the working class. And because they don't see class solidarity in that, they don't fight like there's an injury to one is an injury to all. This is one of those most important things ever to create class consciousness takes effort. It takes work. It's not easy. It's real easy to get lost in the sauce. It's real easy to not like bigot A or angry person B or flamboyant person Z. It's easy to not like people for whatever perceived differences they have. It's not a matter of liking each other. You can hate each other and still fight like mad for class solidarity. It's not, the problem is bad people have tried to create that class solidarity means voting Democrat. And this is why unions have been decimated. This is why everything has fallen apart because of this pathetic thing where we think the Democrats are not part of the capital order. And until that changes, we're going to keep getting the same shit. We're just going to keep getting the same shit. And you're exactly right, Kamari. I, um, I want to thank all of our super chats. I know there's a bunch of them, but I've been on a bit of a roll here. So um, let me go ahead and just be fair here. Thank you so much, Double K. Learn MMT. They can't take it away from you. Once you learned it, be informed. Yes, that's, oh, D, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then let's keep going. Uh, I want to just quickly give everybody a shout out. They did a nice, oh, there's Double K. Thank you so much, Double K again. And, oh, you guys really kept my comments going. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Um, This is good, good stuff. Real good. I can't wait to go back to another double K. Thank you so much. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Where else? Come on. I know there's more. Yes. New York Radio. Uh, NNY Radio. Thank you so much. Um, my God. You guys really appreciate another double K. Thank goodness gracious, folks. Thank you. Anyway, I, um. I just want to say for the record that I love knowledge. I love learning. Love it more than anything in the world. But knowledge without action is useless. I want to organize people with an the problem is is that it's not just enough to understand socialism. You've got to understand modern monetary theory as well to put the two together, to really have the full understanding. If you have that full understanding, you can change the world. We can change the world together. And it may be that the understanding of the monetary system and knowing that they're not doing the things they could do for us because it keeps capital in charge, it might be just enough to tip the scales to get us to really fight back. And that I think is pretty much the, the story here. I hope you guys will, if you like what I say, if you think that I'm on point, I'd like it if you'd subscribe. Give me a like, please. We're always fighting algorithms. Share it out there. If you think there's useful value in what I've talked about, please, by all means. And check out our podcast, Macro and Cheese. Macro, the letter N, and then Cheese. It's on all major platforms. And of course, on our Real Progressives YouTube channel, you can catch all of our podcasts uploaded to YouTube there as well. 
We have real progress in action and we have real progressives. Go to real progressives to check out, um, you know, any of those kind of educational um, videos. <laughs> and um, also to make one big point, I have grown a lot. I started out a Republican. Clearly, I'm not that anymore. Okay. You can change. Change is real. It can happen. So with that, I'm Steve Crumbine. But it's hacking up a log. But I am hacking. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts, please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the Real Progress in Action YouTube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org.